welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. take a long journey into the realm that precedes creation. What is the eternal covenant and how does it relate to God's promise and eternal decree? Well, it's been a while since I've been here, so we need to reintroduce ourselves, I think, but uh, it's good to see all the faces and uh, I'm not very happy to be back from vacation, <laughs> but Pastor Matt and I have been talking about uh, covenant, and some of this actually came through when we did our Return of Christ series with uh, speaking about the covenant of God, and Pastor Matt thought that it would be good to maybe talk about some of these things on our Planted podcast that we've been doing, and so those will be coming out uh, pretty soon, and he says, you have one hour to talk about this subject. I've never been able to present anything in an hour, so we'll do our best, but it'll be an introduction, and if not, uh, you'll be able to catch up on the rest of it come uh, your subscription to the Planet Podcast, right? Which can be found... It's free. It's free. You still have to subscribe. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. We'll wait for you. It's good to see you. All right, so covenant in the simplest terms... What is a covenant? Agreement. It's an agreement. It's certainly an agreement between two or more parties, and it has terms that are associated with it. And name some biblical co- covenants that we see. Works. Uh, a covenant of works, okay. Grace. Covenant of grace. Any particular parties involved? Abraham. Abraham. We have the Abrahamic covenant, right? The Vedic covenant, Noah, Noahic covenant. Right, and Adam. We have a covenant in Adam, um, and covenant as we're going to find um, when it comes in terms of the divine decree uh, is always, or most of the time, I'll say always. I'll just say always. We can determine this later. Salvific in nature. It's about a relationship that God wants to have with His people, and it also includes blood. There's a blood sacrifice that takes place in part of this, and part of the idea of covenant. In the, in the Hebrew uh, root, which we'll learn here in a little bit, has to do with sacrifice as well. So these covenants are guaranteed in blood. And so part of the idea of covenant that we want to talk about is the covenant of redemption. And that's what Pastor Matt was uh, just mentioning, that the covenant of redemption begins not only with sin and what Christ would uh, come to accomplish, but God as a saving father reached out and saved his people from The suppression that they had in Egypt, it says that he redeemed them with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. And these are all terms that we're familiar with. But that plan for redemption in Christ wasn't an afterthought, right? It was something that took place not only uh, with the covenant 
of Abraham, but even in the garden prior, right? And not only that, but somewhere else prior to creation, which we're going to learn. And so that's why we talk about this covenant being eternal, and it's a covenant of redemption. So again, because this is just a survey class, we're going to try to go fast. I know I still won't make it through the slides, but we're going to try and you just have to make I should actually start at the last slide and just work backwards because <laughs> we really don't need a summary in this class. You guys are all up to speed on most of this stuff. But when we talk about, excuse me, um, God's uh, covenant, we also talk quite often about his eternal decree, don't we? And the eternal decree of God talks and speaks toward his nature. And his nature are his divine attributes that we talk about, his, his decree, his sovereignness, um, his aseity or aseity, which means that he has existence within himself, right? He didn't need um, to be created. He just always was. He has that eternal power. His sovereignty in all things, his sovereignty over his creation, his sovereignty, all things are going to go, that he's the first cause of all things, his decree, which we already mentioned, right? He's from eternal to eternal. And sometimes we'll see these things show up in things that we call um, like the three omnis, right? He's omnipresent. He's omniscient omnipotent, right? And so we'll see that be in his characteristic. But in regard to covenant, as we mentioned earlier, um, it's not only, it's it's an agreement, but it's also this alliance that comes into play uh, with us. And it's a pledge of parties, right? And that pledge, when we're talking about the covenant of God, always begins with God and will always be backed by God, and nothing is going to change what God decrees. So his eternal decree stands forever. And so these decrees, because of the nature of them, and we mentioned the blood thing earlier, carry significant weight behind them, right? They're just incredibly deep, um, have forethought to them. They're not reactionary in God's eyes, right? But they are looking forward to that time when time comes to an end where we'll have God bringing all things and reconciling all things back into himself, not only his people, but heavenly things as well. So this is uh, the word covenant in, uh, in Hebrew. It's uh, berith. It's an alliance or pledge. We said that between parties. Um, the root word of this actually has the word cut, or it's inferred anyways, to cutting. And we get this as we see these animals being cut in two as they form their covenants. But we say it all the time, don't we? Hey, let's cut a deal. That comes from this. You cut a covenant, you cut a deal, and, you know, it can be just a handshake. But, you know, when you say your word is your bond, sometimes as fellows, we don't really mean that to to death do us part, do we? We see that the Bible idea of covenant is that there will be um, the seriousness of that covenant the symbolism of the cut animals where we're saying that if we don't agree or that we break the terms of this covenant we deserve what happened to those animals okay so we recall this procedure uh when um the lord and and abraham that you guys mentioned earlier the abrahamic covenant and uh abraham said he said uh, he said Yahweh, God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? This is from the promise of God. And and God said to him, bring me a heifer and a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and he cut them 
into down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. So these ancient covenants that, that happen, uh, and we had talked about this in class before, the idea of the ancient culture was to cut these animals and they laid them on the ground apart from each other. And the parties would walk and discuss the terms of the agreement as they walked between these cut pieces. So they would say, you know, whatever the case is, let's say, um, you know, I agree that uh, your daughter would be good for my son. And, you know, because of her value, I'm going to give you this ugly goat to go with it, right? And so that's, that's quite, quite the value and that they'll be bonded. So now when God and Abraham make this covenant, when God first does this covenant, we see that the pieces are cut and the terms of the uh, covenant are, have already been set in place. And there is a passing between the cut animal or animals. What was it? The parties that are that are holding firm to the agreement are going to pass through, and as Julie just said, it was God. Remember, he as a was it as a smoldering cauldron of whatever passes through these pieces. Where was Abraham during that time? He's on. He's 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 asleep on the ground, right? So the party that passes through and gives the terms of the agreement is the only one that can be held completely accountable to this to this task. So God knowing the frailties of man, right? Abraham, although he can fail on his side of the covenant, it is sealed by the party that passed through that covenant. Okay, so that's just a, a quick look at what covenant is and the seriousness of it. They're going to discuss the terms. And God passing through that covenant said, if I, if I don't uphold this promise to that your seeds in your, in, the, in your name, in the seed here, all the nations will be blessed. If I don't uphold that agreement, I'm as good as dead. That's what God is actually saying, right? Any thoughts on that so far? Anything to add? Where'd this whole thing walking through dead animals come from? I just saw it in Genesis 12. I don't know where it originated from, but uh, do you know? If it, do you know if it goes back before there? Yeah, I think it was. It's um, custom of the Canaanite peoples, and so it would just be the, the ancient Near Eastern peoples. This is something that they did. And so I don't know, I don't know if, it would, if it's been traced to a particular, like you could say, well, the Babylonians started it or the Hittites or, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know that they have, somebody may have said this is the first example, but it shows itself in those ancient Near Eastern peoples. I can't identify, I don't know if they would say this particular people started it or not, but yeah. it, was a, it was just the custom of the day. As in all things, um, that have to do with promise and God. Um, I think God is the originator of all truths. And, and for God um, to, to do this, he, he could borrow from tradition of another culture and stuff like that, but God is um, either affirming it or he's going to originate this perhaps in another task, and maybe that takes place a little bit earlier, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at. But um, this is the definition. It says that divine covenants, and this is what I was saying earlier, by the way, divine covenants reveal the saving plan of God for establishing communion with Israel and the nations, ultimately fulfilled by the death and resurrection of Christ. So what is this saying about the Abrahamic covenant, for example. Who's the fulfillment of it? They reveal God's plan. It reveals God's plan, right? 
and that it's fulfilled by Christ. It's, in fact, when we say that it's fulfilled in Christ, we can almost actually say that that was forethought in God's mind because the fulfillment has to be already instilled, right? So not only is it fulfilled in Christ, but we should be able to say that it's rooted in Christ, right? We sometimes will see this in prophecy when it talks about um, the branch and the root of, of Jesse, right? Where he's not only you know the offspring of this heritage, but also the power behind it. So a covenant with Yahweh is always, uh, first of all, uh, in Christ. It's about salvation. We see here that it was um, earlier was talking about Abraham and his people and the nations, right? And when we see that plan coming together, that we should have in terms that our salvation includes that relationship with the Father, which is severed by our sin, but reconciled in adoption. Right? Michael? I just had a question. The Westminster uh, Confession says, <clears throat> on covenants, it was administered under the Jewish law uh, through prophecies, promises, sacrifice, circumcision, the pastoral lamb, and other ordinances given to the Jewish people. And then um, through Christ, then the operations of the ministry through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, where would the Holy Spirit and the church fit into the administration of the covenant under our denomination? I'm not sure I followed that question perfectly. Did you, Matt? The administration of it. The church has administration. Right. We also have, as humans, through Christ, responsibilities to ourselves through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So um, last week or the week before, uh, LaFontaine said the church has administrative responsibilities for us. We talked about that in the evening. So I was wondering... So are you relating it like to the sacraments as an expression of the covenant? That are right. other attributes of the ministry. Right. For example, if the administrator of the church says we need to build this building, is that part of the administration of the covenant we have with God as a community? Yeah, in a sense, in terms of the offices held, right. yes. So, okay. so for the off, so the offices held. That's why, like within the Presbyterian form of government, we. The, the officers take oaths, um, you know, to to uphold that. And so, for the ruling elders, their primary responsibility is to um, represent the mind of Christ to the congregation. Uh, and so, uh, and then for the teaching elders as well, it is included in that is also the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. And so, uh, and the sacraments then being the signs of what Christ has accomplished in fulfilling the covenant. And so that would be, that would be again, attached to those offices. And so, but the offices, as we, as we looked earlier in this Ephesians series, Walk His Way, the, the, it is the gift of the Spirit, right, that, that comes, that is the confidence that we have that we, that we can 
represent the mind of Christ. And so it's the, the gifts given by the Spirit. So that whole ascending and descending passage in there, that it's, it's because Christ has ascended that he then gives the gifts to the church and that the primary gift that he gives is the Spirit that manifests itself in those offices of um, apostle, pa pro teacher, pastor, evangelist, all those things. And that I, I view that coming to class that God has raised up that view mm -hmm. Justin as responsible to me to teach me what I need to learn. Yeah. This is what I'm learning today. Right. Yeah. And our confidence is in the spirit you know, the gift of the Spirit to do that work. Right, right. right. And I, you explained that very well, and I wouldn't have had a clue how to begin with that. But the, uh, the idea is, in, even in, in terms of covenant, that because God is sovereign and because of his eternal decrees, God ordains and foreordains things to come to pass, right? Everything that takes place, in fact, right? Most importantly, when we're dealing about this decree and covenant, is the salvific nature, right? So all the things that God decrees, right, including his elect church, the elect people that would come to him of Israel and of all the nations of whom he calls effectively. This is a foreordained thing. It's an election process. But God not only ordains the ends of these things, what Matt was saying is that he also ordains the means, Right? He ordains how this is going to come to pass. So he puts in to that effect the government of the church, right? just like he did in the Old Testament with Moses and the judges. So I think as that um, all comes together, um, we can just say it's, it's, it's all God. So if we see it in the scriptures, we're to obey it. right? If we really don't see it there, we really don't need to do it. And in fact, if we do things that are contrary to it all, then we need to be corrected of that, so we don't need to be adding things. We see two things in scriptures um, that are ordained as in the Lord's Supper and in baptism as the sacraments for our church, right? Um, the Catholic Church has seven of them, right? That many aren't ordained, but yet they call them sacraments and they become necessary to set themselves apart um, as holy. So these are added. So we got to be careful to not add anything to the scriptures as well, right? So yeah, I think that all kind of comes together. But again, when we're dealing with covenant here, it's not just the process of what's taking place or the things that are fulfilled in Christ, but the origin of covenant. And that's where we want to go today because we want to talk about the eternal thought of God. Who is God and how does he present himself to us? So sometimes, as I said before, not sometimes, but these covenants, when it de deals with sal salvation, um, are presented in blood sacrifice, right? So we know this, of course, with Christ and how he fulfilled it. And it says here uh, that in the same manner, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he's saying that this new covenant is established. Well, how is it established? in his blood, right? There's a sacrifice that's mandatory in this. So the question is, when, when Christ sheds his blood on the cross, are the old covenant covenants, the Old Testament covenants, so to speak, are they annulled? Are they made obsolete? Are they made void, I should say? No. They're not. 
they're not, right? Because the covenant is an eternal thing that God makes. And so there's revelation that comes precept upon precept. There's more that comes to it, but it's not an annulment of the things because that promise was always salvific in nature. Let's take a look. Now to Abraham, um, this is in Galatians, by the way. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years old, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in who? What? You see what's happening? Where, where were all these covenants confirmed by God for? The law, Abraham, and Christ. This is the eternality of, of what we're talking about here. The scriptures is showing us that it should be made the promise um, that it should be that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, then no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we see this promise of God is eternal. Promise the things that He's promised, um, not only to Himself within the triune Godhead, but to all those whom he will reveal this. But it's, it's a little bit tough to follow when you read it through because we're going forward in time and then backward in time. We're talking about Moses and Abraham being 400 and some years apart, but being all confirmed in Christ. Any thoughts or adds to that? I think it's, it, I, I find it interesting that Paul makes this distinction between seeds and seeds. <clears throat> Right, that that I don't that I think that's in in some ways can often still be a stumbling block for the Jews, right? Right. Today, um, and so it's just interesting how the Spirit, you know, revealed that to him that he sees that because even like now we can talk about sowing seed and we can think about it being plural, right? We don't always add the s, you know, in that sense. And I just wonder, you know, if, if in that sense, but. But he, in some sense, what I think he's saying is it's both. It, 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 it obviously is still this corporate thing, but it's but we can't take away that it's particularly... The, this is the key to the whole thing. It's because the covenant is voiced the way it is by God here, and he's saying... Um, now to Abraham and his seed, and it just defines here a seed. We can see it in the capital letter. We just define that seed as singular, and it's referring to who? Christ. But who were the promises originally made to Abraham about? His son, Isaac. And we see that reaffirmed in Romans chapter 9, don't we? Right? It's, it's, it's not according to the bloodline, but according to the promise who was in Isaac. Well, no, it really wasn't Isaac. It was Christ. Right? This is the play on words that we get all the time in the scriptures. And when we're dealing in, in, in terms of covenant, um, Christ was already in play at the Abrahamic covenant, right? And it goes even prior to that. And what was the reason for that? What did I just do? I just did that. Uh, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon whom? Oh, the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, we were in mind too, right? This, wasn't, this was not a secondary thought that God said, I guess Israel failed. We better do something to uh, um, avert the plan. No, it was always that in Abraham, the nations would be blessed, Right? They are to be the light into the world. Now we have the church and the uh, Gentiles are brought into the fold, grafted in, so to speak, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Spirit, Christ, Father, God, Yahweh. Sometimes we have, we have this triune God, right? And so uh, 
their their persons are distinguished, but the essence of God is not. And so, you know, we, when we talk about the Spirit, we can just say, well, that's the Spirit of Christ. Well, no, it's the Spirit of the Father. Well, which one is it? Yep. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we are the children of the promise, right? To Abraham and his seed, which is Christ, but we are the seed, aren't we? We are counted as his seed, which again is if you're seed, that means you're in the family. And that happens, again, through adoption that we talked about earlier, right? That seed doesn't show up in, in, with Abraham, though. And this is why I was saying what I said a second ago about um, where did the agreement first begin as the covenant? You know, it, well, particularly between men, yeah, but in the sacrifice um, system and covenant, it begins in the garden, Genesis 3, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves coverings. What did they do to hide their shame? Well, they realized they were naked. So what did they do? Oh, they covered themselves out of, out of fig leaves. This is the first act that we see of religion take place. How do we, how do we make ourselves covered? It's, it's, it's hide and seek, right? They, they, they knew they sinned. They felt the guilt and shame. But rather than running to the one that they were just communing with in the garden hours before, they hide and run from them, right? And they do it by the work of their own hands. So, and God says, that, that works for me. <laughs> nope. What does he do? Kill something. He absolutely does. Right? Also for Adam and his wife, Yahweh, Elohim, made tunics of skin and clothed them. What, how do you get tunics of skin? What has to happen? That animal. Animal has to die. Innocence. Death of innocence has to take place. So God covers them with skin. So what's the image of this? According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. We see this in Hebrews, so reflecting back on, on the true sacrifice. All those days in the Old Testament that they were doing sacrifice upon a sacrifice, appeasing temporarily the blood of God, but did they ever forgive sin? No, it's not, it's not even possible. There's a reminder every year for sin, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. They never forgave a single sin. Well, that's not what I used to learn, right? That was just the old system of doing it. That's how they were forgiven. No, it was always in Christ. The imagery was, this is... This is the cost of what it takes to forgive your sins. Daily sacrifice, morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice. Sacrifices for things you don't even know that you did. Congregational sacrifices. Innocent blood, but it can only be done by a man, a perfect man, because it requires a sacrifice of perfection, man for man, but it has to be of perfection, right? If Christ doesn't die for you, we remain dead in our sins. Yeah, there's going to be a death. That's, that's the payment. The wages of sin is? That's, that's the law right there. That's, that's exactly what that means. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, by the way, this, this is a Hebrews quoting um, Psalms. 
When he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Who's speaking here? David? No, he's reflecting back that this, this is the Son of God. This is, the, this is him speaking in the book of Psalms, in the volume of the book that is written to me. How do we know that's true? Well, because when he went on that Emmaus road hike, what did he do? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he showed those guys everything that referred to him. What a Bible study that would be, right? A body you have prepared for me. A body, why? To die for to die for your people. This is the covenant that we're working our way to. What was the eternal plan and how does it come to pass? I have come to do what? Your will. Behold, I have come to do your will. This is the son showing his perfect obedience to the father, right? But the agreement wasn't made that the father said, uh, this is uh, what you're going to do. No, this is the... Um, harmony of the triune Godhead speaking together where the plan comes together as, as one thing, right? Because we're dealing with eternal matters. You can't really say, you know, what was, the, what was the conversation? That's the only way that we can think of it, but there's really no conversation, right? Because God always was, always is, and was perfect, right? He didn't think things through. This is just a plan in motion. When, when Pastor Matt and I are talking on Planet Podcast, we're saying, what was that conversation like? Well, it's just speculation, right? There's no, there's no conversation, but it's fun to talk about, right? Because we can only think in terms of before. Before creation, what was there? There was God, right? Was there time? There was no time. That blows our minds, right? Because we can only think in terms of, 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 of the world with it, you know, and with which we live. Anyway, let's go back to, to Genesis 3 for a second. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and are more and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Between your seed, the serpent seed? Say what? What's that? Well, what's the seed of the woman? Well, that, we got that one down, right? That's Christ, right? That's not even anatomically correct language, right? The seed does not exist within the woman. Where does the seed come from? The man, the male, right? So this is a reference to the virgin birth, the proto-evangelium, or however you want to say it in Greek. That's how I'm saying it. <laughs> Eugelion. The first gospel right here. The seed of the woman, right? So it's not of, it's not of, it's not of seed plural we just learned. Well, then he's talking about Abraham. No, see, the seed is Christ. It's right here. We had to go back one more step, didn't we? We can't get much earlier than this. We're in Genesis 3 for Pete's sakes, right? Who's the seed? It's the Messiah. The blood of the covenant is established in the garden because why? Because it required the death, the covering of tunics by the hand of God who killed Jesus on the cross. Did the Romans, did the Jews, 
Yeah, all are responsible for it, yeah. But what's, what's his final words? Into your hand, I commit my spirit. They couldn't take Christ's life from him. He had to give it up on his own, you know, commissioning. And he shall bruise your head. This is speaking of he, Christ, shall bruise your head. Who's the he? The um, the serpent, right? So the, in some aspect, he, Christ, shall bruise the head of the serpent. Um, speaking of the head is going to be a mortal bruising, right? There will be the there will be a final death in that. And you, serpent, shall bruise his heel. His being Christ. How was how was the seed of the woman's heel bruised? At the cross, right? There was the, the, the life of Christ was one of, first of all, a lot of pain and suffering, right? Along the way, that's part of it. But his heel was bruised at the cross in the fact that, A, he had nails driven through his feet. He was crucified, but it wasn't ultimate, was it? Because he raised. So there was a sense that there was this thorn in the flesh of Christ, which was Satan, and then the resurrection, of course, and all that. Yeah, Michael. Just uh, this scripture you're quoting always reminds me that even when we screw up, God still honors His covenant because even after they learned of good and evil, He clothed them with better clothes than they made themselves just to hide from God. So He came back in the relationship and clothed them covered them, which Christ covers us in his blood. Is that close? Yeah. I think I think it's right on. I think that's kind of what Ernesto was speaking about earlier, right? The whole idea of repentance. You agree with that? So the idea of repentance, again, we repent and, and we go back. Why? Because do when we are saved, we've been given a new spirit, correct? When this is a when this is a true salvation do we, in our sin, sever the relationship between ourselves and God at that point? We don't, right? But do we want to? Do we want to just stay in that position? Because the fellowship, what happens when when we when we're sinning is who do we have our back toward? God. But has He moved? No. He hasn't, right? And so the act of repentance says, "Oh yeah." Sorry about that. We don't really have to say, "Forgive me for my sins." At that aspect, we just say. I mean, we do. That's the form of repentance, right? But it's thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, and we're back to our loving, loving Father. Because we can't hold on to something that was really ours from, to begin with. I don't know. I guess it in Philippians, where it says, "He who began a good work in us will be faithful to, to complete it." Right? I didn't begin this thing in me. Right? I was an enemy of God. I hated Him. I wanted to fill, 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 flesh, 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 pride of life, pride of eyes, lust of life, you name it. Right? But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's pride is absolutely gone, right? So now what does it say? Well, now that, now that Christ began the work in you, what are you going to go do it and, and, and keep it by works? No, it's, talk, it's also spoken to us, right? You, can't, you didn't begin it. You can't keep it, right? Faith in Christ, then react in love you know that's we we love christ because he first loved us so let's go back a little bit further here i had these notes by the way before we did our podcast (laughs) i want you to know of course i just was laughing because that's that's kind of neat but uh this is a part 
near the end here of the upper room discourse, I believe you said, is that correct? Yeah, so if you remember back in chapter 14, um, Jesus says to his disciples, because they, they know things aren't going well, this is not going to look good. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You know, what, you know what, what's, what's wrong with you? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Right? In my house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. So he's giving them comfort and he's extolling all these things upon them that are, are truths about him and who he, he's been showing them the entire time through his whole ministry who he is, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he comes to this point in chapter 16, near the end of 16, he says, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language. Remember, they were always kind of like getting parables and stuff like that and he'd have to take them aside and explain the parables to them. But a time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you shall pray to the that I shall pray to the Father for you. But the Father Himself loves you because He has loved me, and He loves you. I believe that I come forth from God. In other words, He's just testifying that He understands that they believe. I come forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world to go to the Father. So He's He's just confirmed to them that He's He's come from from the Father and that they are believers, and this is the mission. What's the disciples' response? The disciples said to him, See, now you're talking plainly. Right? It's about time. Why didn't you just tell us like this from the beginning? We've been fighting all along. Quit using the figures of speech. Right? You're, you're speaking. That's not how they're talking to him. They're saying. <laughs> no, but that's how I'm imagining it. Right? Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from from God. Yeah, we finally get it. it. Took long enough, you know. And now we believe. And Jesus says to him, "Do you now believe?" He's questioning the fact that they just testified that they believed. Indeed, the hour is coming, and yet now has come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and you will leave me alone. What's he saying? Yeah, you believe and you say that you're my disciples and all this, but when I'm arrested, you guys are are gone. You know, thanks for saying that you believe in me, that you got my back. He, he understands their weakness, right? They're still quite weak. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So there's this confidence that's coming back to it. The gauntlet's going to drop, and you guys are going to scatter, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And his promises that they'll come back. So they're about to witness here coming up an amazing eternal conversation between the Father and the Son. This is a divine prayer where we don't get to see this very often. And we want to be really careful not to take this lightly. But then, beginning of chapter 17, the high priestly prayer that we're all familiar with, it, you can never spend too much time in this. But Jesus spoke these words. So imagine he just said, okay, now you guys believe you're going to be scattered. And then he turns and speaks these words, lifts up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now, first of all, if Jesus were merely a man and, and he said these words in public, would the Jews have the right to stone him? 
because it would be blasphemy if he was just merely a man. But this is not merely a man. This is God in flesh. And we can see things that are um, words that we're not allowed to use about man. Glorify, for one. right? We're, the glory is not ours. It's God's. So glorify your son can only mean one thing. This is, this is divine sonship here, right? And then we see the glory given back to the Father. Who has authority over all flesh? God. Now listen, that he should give, this is the Son, should give eternal life to as many as you, the Father, has given him. What is this? Say what? He's given life to believers. Where does, how do we know who the believers are? Who are the believers? The ones that God ordained. This is, this is the divine decree in the salvation of an elect people. All whom the Father has give, the, the Father gives, the Son is going to lay his life down for, right? We see a gift. This is, this is eternal matters here, right? that you have given, this is something that's already taken place. The Father's already given them to the Son. But when, when was that happen? When did that happen? Four minutes ago? When the, when the disciples realized what happened? That, they, that he's speaking plainly? Before the creation of the world. Divine decree. Eternal covenant. And Christ humbled himself. Right? To the flesh. And he died for as many as the Father had given to him. So, Jesus, when he goes to the cross, for whom does he die? The ones the Father has given to him. Predestination. That's exactly right. Does, does, does most of even the church community believe it that way? How about the world? Who did they say that Christ died for? Right. And the reason for that is, is because it, we, Christ died, he so loved the world, right? But we have to define our terms. We have to let the context define what the world is. And we find out that the world is every tongue, nation, right? So we see people out of all of these um, coming coming forth. And this is why you can't cover this topic in, in an hour, let alone, you know, it takes a lifetime to, to, to really go through all of this and, and compiling the scriptures and let each one speak for itself. But first of all, context is, is always king in these things. But it doesn't get any clearer than this. To as many as you've given them, I've laid my life down for them. So you understand what I was saying, like the, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, when we're dealing with the seed? how much weight is behind that because it, it wasn't just the promise to Abraham that the nations would be blessed, that there'd be this people that would believe in God. No, it was all about the redemption in, in Christ. You know, as I think about this, that, and I struggle with this all the time in terms of thinking about our call to be ambassadors, to be witnesses in, in all of our life, you know, but the the effectiveness of our witness, it's its all on God, you know, in that sense that that it is effective. He's, he's going to accomplish his purposes. And, you know, and so I shouldn't wonder, it's not my job to wonder, is the person I'm witnessing to going to respond or not? 
you know, that's not my job. That's God's job. <laughs> right. You know, my job is just to tell it, just to tell the good news, to tell the story, right? Um, and so I get, I get too wrapped up in, in my own emotional state and, or, and, or thoughts of thinking, uh, it, you know, am I going to get this person saved? And it's like, no, it's, that's, not, that's not my, I'm the second cause, I'm right. the first cause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah. You know, so, well, exactly. So, it, and it, but it also then shouldn't inhibit me, right? You know, that the the inhibition isn't it, it should be taken away, right? Because the, God's going to do God's going to do His work. So. Yeah. Right. This is not something that you you you, you open air preach, by the way, with a bunch of people that's saying, you know. You're not elect because I mean, first of all, you never say that you're not yeah, elected. That, that's that's right. silly. I mean, Spurgeon was actually, you know, they're saying, hey, if people are elect, why don't you, you know, why are you preaching to everybody? He goes, well, if you just lift up the shirt on their back so I can see the big E written on, I'll just preach to them, right? But that's not because God again ordains not only the ends of salvation but the means. So right, there's this there's this word call that we see in the scriptures all the time, and. After we get past the Gospels, every time we see call, this word called the called and all of that, it always refers to an elect people. But in the Gospels previous, it says that many are called, but you see there's a modifier there, but few are chosen. So um, there's a general call, and that's what we are called to do, right? To give the general call, the gospel to the people around us and let the Holy Spirit work in the lives of whom he wants to call. That's not up to us. And yeah, we should have a heart for all people because we just don't know. We should we should think, we should really think everybody's, every, that's up to God, right? But everybody is going to hear that message in, in common. We should be praying for all those people because we are not divine. But again, it's a, it's a very tough thing to chew on and this type of thing, you know, is a very big separation point. When we're dealing with Reformed and Covenantal theology, though, it only makes sense because we see the decree from the foundation of the world of what the Father has done. And we'll see it again in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10, right? You don't believe me, Jesus said to them, because you are not of my sheep. What? Jesus will later say in John 17 that I pray not for the world, but for all those whom you've given me. Well, that's that's contrary. All right, so we have to define what the world is, first of all. So again, that's why this is such a difficult thing to get through because there's a 700 sidebars to go through. But what we're dealing with here is the sovereignty of God and salvation, and that's what we trust. We can just read the scriptures. We can rest in it. It's not for us to figure it out. It's just for us to listen to the word of God and be sent, right? Go and preach the gospel to who? All nations, right? Make make disciples of all nations. That's that's our that's our divine initiative right there. That's the great commission that we have. This is what um, he says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Christ, whom you've sent. pretty simple right and we don't know who that is I mean the, we we aren't here to judge salvation we can we are to judge within, within the body of Christ but that's judgment that we have um, in regard to 
obedient believers. For example, if somebody, I'm not going to give an example, right? But we, we do disciplines in the church. People that aren't repentant within the church are to be disciplined, you know, repent and, and come back into the fold. No, no, no. Okay, I'm sorry, but you're out. Turn them over to Satan. But again, that even by saying that in the scriptures, turn them over to Satan is not necessarily saying that they're not saved. It's just to hopefully they'll hit rock bottom and realize repentance is due to get back to God. So it's all disciplinary um, within the, the judgment within the body of believers. But Jesus even says, let the wheat and tares grow up together. That's, that's, not, that's not your mission to, to try to fine-tune that. We can't decide that anyways. That condition's in the heart. You don't even know if I'm saved. I have a pretty good feeling I am, but you don't know that. I can't testify for any of you because that's between the Holy Spirit and man himself. What does Jesus say? He says, I've glorified you on earth. Remember, he says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Oh, when? When was the work given for him to do? In eternity, yeah. We can't really even say before time. That doesn't even make sense, but I guess, but, but, so, but we, we say it because we understand what that means in our peewee brains here. Oh, and just in case that you thought Jesus came to be at 00 AD, now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Uh, wow. Before the world was, we had a covenant, didn't we? The covenant was, you gave me some work to do, and I finished it. I've now come to do it. What does he, what does he complete at this point? Right? He, the, the cross hasn't really happened, but I, he's, I think he's speaking of that whole thing. Sometimes when we say the cross of Christ, we include his whole ministry, that perfect sinless life. That's the gospel, right? That Christ came, that he was born of the virgin, that he was sinless, that he died, and that he was buried, you know, it was three days in the grave, that he rose again, and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's crazy. We would never make this up this way, right? I would just say, Are you, have you seen how good I was compared to these other people? Right? All i got to do is be ahead of the curve. Uh, no. No. There wasn't much better than Paul. And he said, uh, I'm the worst. I'm the chief. I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah, Christ finished the work. But this isn't, can't be just merely man because as he says, glorify me with the glory that I had with you beforehand. Well, glory is only due to Yahweh. So we have Christ is Yahweh. Michael? <coughs> Christ is when he told some people the truth. Then there's a lapse until the Holy Spirit takes up the covenant at Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit's work begins at Pentecost. Is that what you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, but it's not void. Right. So for us to, it took 60 some years for us to have all these letters, and a lot of the people then had nothing except the verbal testimony. Right. And so then. It took the Holy Spirit to take up a mantle, if you will, of God on earth. 
Oh, yeah. So, I'm confused about I'm not confused, but I can't articulate it very well. Me neither. Um, are you just talking about the, the, the in-between time? The covenant relationship has yeah. existed since... Well, the here's a glimpse of it. The relationship with the Holy Spirit also. Right. Yeah here's, a, yeah, here's a glimpse of it that I'm, I'm thinking of. If you just turn to a page, you'll read something that makes sense, right? <laughs> Then you can claim credit for it. All right. So further on in John 17, if you're already there, that's great. Um, uh, you can keep going back and back and back, 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 back. But I don't know. Let's just let's start in nine, for example. He's praying for them. These are the ones that believe me. He's talking about the disciples here. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world. This is Jesus. So that's the part that I was talking about earlier, right? I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. Do you see that the redeemed are a eternal love gift from the Father to the Son? All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given to me. See, Christ is going to the cross and he's not going to be there to sustain them. So what's he doing? He turns them back over to the Father. You, you keep them while I'm going to do this work because I'm going to be in the grave. And then we have this period of time where we see, well, of course, after the ascension or after Christ is raised from the grave, he does spend time with them. And he, he testifies that there's, there's a time coming, Right? On Pentecost, that that another's coming in my name, right? Again, it's the same, it's the same God, but it's just coming in, in, in the Spirit form, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, right? Um, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, speaking of Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and all these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. This is, our, this is you know, how it is for us, too, right? Why aren't, why, after God saves us, why didn't he just take us out of here? Well, because the, the mission is, is, is made manifest through us. This is the, you know, the divine initiative, again, from um, the ordaining of salvation to how that's preached. Um, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. So you, you see in that period of time, and I think, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or, or, or whatever, but... Um, how are people saved in the Old Testament? I mean, we're talking about the Holy Spirit coming here um, on Pentecost. The, 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 the Holy Spirit. Salvation is always of the Spirit, right? But the way it's incorporated um, and, and made manifest and the, the mission changed, uh, the mission didn't change, the way it was able to work with the nations was different because something got bound at the cross. The nations that were influenced by the God of this world. So, yeah, so always by the Spirit, 
always initiated by the Father, but always in an eternal agreement between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And then your brain just goes, because you can't think about that too, too hard, because how do you have a conversation in eternity? I think part of what you have in the New Covenant, which is promised in the Old Testament, right, is that I will put my spirit on their hearts. And, and, and what you see is at Pentecost, the fulfillment of those promises of the New Covenant. But with that is you have the, the manifestation of the body of Christ that, that, that is the, the revival, renewal of the, of the corporate people of God in the living out the covenant in that witness through the power of the Spirit, right? So that's where the Spirit is is that bond within us. He's the guarantee. He's the deposit that is the right. guarantee of this right. inheritance mm-hmm. that is there in us and, and, and it's and it's manifested in, in the people in that sense. So it's not just the so in that sense it's not just the work of salvation, right? But then it becomes the witness of salvation, right? In, in that 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 is expressed through the people. And so I think that in that sense we see a the fulfillment of the eternal covenant, but the but also there's something you know what's I guess the question I ask is what's new about the new covenant? If it's eternal, in what sense it sits? But what's what's new about it? And it, it, it's it's new in the sense of the incorporation of the Gentiles, right? And and I think it is then too in the demonstration of the people of God is 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 more um, it's something you could say it, it's more visible and effective in the world than what we see in Israel because what we see in Israel is this is is the in the testament in, in the narrative we see so much so much of the failure not that we don't see some success in you know in, in David and even in some senses in the kingdom of Solomon but for the most part you just you don't see it happening right yeah. But where in the book of Acts, not that the church doesn't have failures, but in the book of Acts, you start to see the fulfillment of this of it going to the nations and the promise happening, right? So I think that's the newness of that in, in the work of the Spirit. I think what I was getting at is that where it says, um, you gave me, um, one is a weird one, mm-hmm. and so that they may be brought to complete unity. For example, the Old Testament, Unity was through the land of the promises to Israel, and so the unity comes, and the church comes through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, as continued presence of God's covenant on earth. I guess that's what I was kind of. Okay. Yeah, I, I see that. I mean, in, in a sense, it was supposed to be that through the temple, you know, but they never, but it never really. One of my favorite things is to answer the entirely wrong question. Ask me the question. If I don't like, I'll answer something else. <laughs> but again, let's let, you know what was the original task. We've got to go back to verses one and two here. That he should give eternal life to as many as you give, have given him. This is the promise. This is the eternal covenant. And again, there it is. You know, actually, what Christ accomplished on the cross, the the appeasement for sin, the the atonement that we we spoken of the high the the, the day of atonement. That the high priest could only go in once a year not without sacrifice right he had to be he had to sacrifice for himself make sure he was you know ritualistically clean before he went in and sprinkled the blood 
on the, the Ark of the Covenant on the one side. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. This is Colossians that we referred to earlier. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. There's a redemption and it doesn't just matter here on earth, right? There's a reconciliation of all things in heaven and on earth. And Matt and I talked about this. Well, Matt led the conversation. I asked more questions than I gave answers. But it was uh, in regard to, again, the reconciliation of all, of his entirety of creation. Now, the fallen, the angels that sinned, is there redemption for them? Is that what this is talking about? No. No. And why would that possibly be? Well, because in the angels' creation, there they are in the presence of God with full revelation about who God is, right? And so they were there in a redeemed state. In, in a redeemed, not a redeemed state, because there was no sacrifice for them. But when they fell, they left their first estate, according to Jude, and took upon themselves, you know, the sinful way of life, and that was punishment for them. And they were bound in everlasting change until the judgment should come. So this is this is a kind of a wild thing. But yet, still, God's going to reconcile all these things to Himself, not not in redeeming the fallen angels, but sending them to torment all non-believers to eternal torment which is exactly where we all deserve to go. I mean, in our most incredibly righteous acts, right? No. This is, this is why it's all grace. You know, it's all about him. And, and you, that's me and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Well, this took place, you know, in eternity as well, right? But then it was made manifest in time. And what did he do? He wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. For us, for us, what, 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 is, there, is there a cosmic significance to this? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Uh, it, was, it was about us. The redemption part was about us because it was about his blood. But at this point, he binds the principalities and powers, which we know are spoken of, of the, of the heavenly realm there that's been disobedient. I'm done. I'm, we've got one more minute. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now, are we elect of God because we were so good that he couldn't help but love us? I mean, I am so lovable, you guys. <laughs> am I holy for that reason? No. As the elect of God, right? Because he graced us, grace upon grace. That's He loved us first. We're holy. We're set apart by him. Be holy. That's not only a command to go out and try to live the best life that you can, um, sanctified, set apart, but be holy is the act of being what you've been made to be. Be holy. What he says, be holy. 
He just looked at you and said, be holy because now you are, because I made you holy. That's, that's who we are. We are holy. So it's not just an action, right? And that was all confirmed in his high priestly prayer that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. This defines God, God's election. The eternal decree before the foundation of the world for all whom he would redeem, right? Even when people were leaving in Israel, he said, I reserve for myself a oh, remnant, even in the Old Testament, right? Remnant, same as, same as elect, really. How, who, who reserved them? God, right? If we all had our way, we would all leave instant, instantly. His, if he took his hands off us, right, we'd fall. All right, sorry, I did it though. <laughs> any, uh, any final thoughts, questions? Um, going back to casting people into the lake of fire, um, that's a consequence of their violation of the covenant with God because the covenant is not just for this world, it's also for all of God's creation, which would be Satan and his minions. So they violated the covenant, just like Adam did, and the consequence of violating that covenant was death. Right. So that's they come under the covenant also Well, they they eternally did not belong to that covenant. Is that what you're asking? Or saying? Well, they, in the beginning, we don't know why they fell. They, uh, oh, you're talking about the angels? Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Spiritual. The ones that were cast into the lake of fire before they fell, they, were, they obviously violated some covenant God had with them. Right. And it's typically, I always saw Adam as are typical of the cut there, same failure that Adam had the same failures that Adam had. Yeah. I don't know the why. Just know what happened. I mean we can you can look at some of the extended writings maybe of, of First Enoch if you wanted to try to see how that's described, um, describing in more detail um, the Genesis six account. Right? But there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and- I think in some sense there's a, if you think about covenant again as agreement, a bond, it's establishment of a relationship. And, you know, if that was talking about before, they already had that. There's there's something about being the, the, the restoration of fellowship, the restoration, the promise. I sometimes talk about the promise of his presence, right? That's ultimately what the gospel does. It restores us to the presence of God, that he, he walks with us again. If he were to walk with us without that covering, right, we would be destroyed uh, because, you know, and God, it would be kind of like looking directly into the sun without sunglasses, right? I mean, that that we have to be made fit for his presence and that, that the, the, we'll just use the generic term angels, the angels were already made fit for his presence and they chose to leave that estate, right? And so in their leaving of that estate, that is, you could call that a violation of covenant. They, they basically, they, they walked away from that relationship. They, they turned their back on that, on the presence of God. And, in, in, you know, so in that sense, you know, whether that was a, a formal agreement that he had with them, but that, that was the state of the, into which they were given. That, I think that's the terminology that the uh, Westminster divines use, you know, the estate to which they were given. Um, and so, in that sense, you know, I think we could, you could use covenantal language to talk about walking away from that, you know. Um, so, 
Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the message this morning. It's completely relative to our conversation in this class, Lord, that you in your tender mercies have called us to be your children. And you did so when we were in our worst position. We hated you. And yet you put in the plan an eternal plan, this covenant of redemption for us, that you would step into the flesh. And we have no idea what that really looks like. Um, because one thing we know about Christ is that he, ra- he was raised again as a man, and he ascended as a man. And so there was something that was given up for eternity as well, for the love of an elect people. And that's why you're calling us as your elect people to put on these, these mercies, um, the kindness of God, humility of God. These are the things that we're supposed to put on. As Ernesto was saying this morning, we're to turn our back from the ways of this world and, and, and look at you and put you on to be the children that you've called us to be, to reflect your image. Um, but Lord, you've also given us a mission to be a light in this perverse and dark world in which we live, to share that truth with the others around us. And uh, that's, a, that's, a tough, that's a tough mission. God, we need your spirit to prompt us to do so and uh, help us to respond in obedience to that. Thank you for this week. Um, We give it to you. uh, And Lord, we just pray that you would be with us, that we would meditate on these things and that you'd receive all the glory for you are precious. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for your patience. love of God as he humbles himself to take on the form of the creation he has promised to redeem.